Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, the PK Podcast is a conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights in the promotional products business. I'm Bobby Lee I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Mark Graham, president of Right Sleeve and CEO of Common Skew. And today, we are visiting with Jamie Mayer, principal of marketing and merchandising with Swerve Point. And uh, Jamie, I don't, you you have no idea about this, but Swerve Point is one of my top ten distributors in the industry that I follow, that I watch, that I that, that I want to take practices from and emulate. You guys have built a beautiful brand, um, Swerve Point. You guys are located is it is it uh, Danver, Danvers, Danvers, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. just uh, north of Boston. You guys have offices in Boston, Hong Kong, London, Los Angeles, New York, New Jersey, Orlando, Toronto. What a great operation. And for folks that are listening, you can go to swervepoint.com, just like it sounds, S-W-E-R-V-E-point.com, and check out their website. It's beautiful work. You guys do some great marketing. And always when I say there's great marketing, there's usually a fantastic operation behind the scenes. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about your company, when you got started, um, how you know how long you've been in the business? Well, we uh, we founded Swerve Point at the end of 2003. Officially opened for business January 1st, 2004, and I have two principal partners. We worked together for years um, at one of the biggest distributors in the industry, and I won't mention the name because sadly enough, it's no longer around. But at one point, it was a public company with just under a billion dollars in revenue. And it was kind of like kindergarten, you know, everything that you needed to learn, you learned in kindergarten. And we got to see it all. We got to see the big and the small and the good and the bad and, and really form kind of what our basis was going to be for starting Swerve Point. So we've been, been going strong since 2004. And let's see, 2005, we, we really had a great opportunity to develop a joint venture with um, an organization at the time it was called Accolade Reaction based in Toronto and um, and that really helped us grow the business and, and we continue that relationship today. It's it's called Accolade Worldwide and that gives us a lot of strength um, not only in, in Canada and the U.S. but uh, other parts of the world. So how long have you been in business? Jamie. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I've been in the business now since 1997. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Jamie, you, uh, you, you, you were talking about your experience with uh, the former promotional products distributorship that you used to work at that's no longer yeah. in business. And I know in some of the conversations that you and I have had uh, over, the, over the past little while um, that there was a lot about that business experience that really shaped how or it really shaped what Swerve Point became. And in other words, a lot of what Swerve Point is now is what that former business was not. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit about that in terms of Swerve Point's principles and its model and its vision and philosophy and how that compares to where you came from before? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing that, that we learned, you know, as this, as this company, the former company, was growing and growing rapidly. Um, was that it kept getting bigger and bigger and we kept working harder and harder to satisfy almost like external third parties. So whether it be the bank or it be investors or it be, you know, new members of the management team, it was kind of like we're on this 
treadmill of trying to make all these other people happy. And, mm. and that was the primary concern. And the secondary concern was, okay, well, is the customer happy? And as we got bigger and had to fuel <clears throat> the machine, the kind of the cultural value of being cool and having this kind of magic and, and really always thinking about how does this impact the customer? Does this make them happy? Does this surprise them? Does this delight them? That became watered down and then we, we just became kind of, you know, somewhat of a machine and somewhat soulless. And so when we started Swordpoint, we said, you know, let's focus on the customer experience and, you know, let's make it as much as we can like how they, how they experience shopping, you know, or retail in their personal life because just because it's a business environment doesn't mean it has to be lame and the product quality is lame and, you know, the customer experience on the, in, on the website's lame. It's, we wanted it to be a little bit more like real, real life. And, you know, it's somewhat mm. challenging because, um, you know, we're all so conformed, you know, our, the supply chains conform to behave a certain way in ASI and PPAI and distributors are kind of conformed to behave a certain way. So it's, it's definitely working a little differently. And, um, it's it's I don't want to say it's niche, um, but I think you can only be so big and do this really well at, at this level. And then I think once you get to a certain size, it just becomes a little bit more transaction oriented as opposed to personal oriented. Hmm. That's that's a that's some great insight. Um, I notice you guys do a lot of programs, or it seems like you do a lot of programs. What percentage of your business is program business? It's about sixty forty right okay. now. Yeah. Okay. And 60 program, 40 custom. Yeah, and you know, the program side of it, it's kind of misleading because the programs are unique, you know, and they're different. Um, and, they, you know, they're not kind of the traditional, like, let's put it up, let's run it forever, and we'll add SKUs and we'll take SKUs down. And, and it, there's, some, there's some elements to these programs that they're more dynamic, that they're more, you know, They've got a time horizon and they've got a specific business purpose, whether it's, you know, a program that's supporting a product launch that's going to run for six or eight months. So there's, they seem to be a little bit more dynamic than, you know, what we had been used to in the past, which was more of like, hey, we'll put up your company store and you know, we'll see how that goes. And at the end of the three-year contract, we'll, we'll see if we want to keep doing that. Right. You know? So. It seems like mm -hmm. that's been a trend over the past uh, three, four, five years where I often mention to folks that in our programs, we have to, every, each one of them have their own DNA. I mean, they're, they're, very, they're very unique. I mean, there are, some, there are obviously lots of similarities, but uh, they've become more complex. And I think the more the users get used to Amazon and Apple and those types of experiences, I think that uh, you know, they find different purposes for just the traditional store than we used to have. Uh, the, no doubt about it. And the other thing too, uh, that's that's a trend is because you, you know, you have all of these applications or platforms being built and being built on the open architecture, and and it seems like every day something new is popping up. And not, I'm not even talking about the social media uh, aspects of this, but it just seems if you can conceive a program and you can figure out how to how to program it, how to develop it, deliver it, and then support it with fulfillment. There's all sorts of things corporate clients need, whether it be, you know, a special employee engagement program for new hires, you yeah. know, and like, right. well, you know, it seemed like Twitter was built overnight. Why can't you build us a business to business application to support what our HR needs are? And then there might be something in the sales organization. So it just seems like programs, um, 
are, I don't want to say they're, they're more technology driven, um, but they, I guess they seem to be much more technology driven, whereas people feel like if I can conceive it, you need to develop it. And yeah. that came right. in our business as opposed to, you know, where f- customers previously were focused on, hey, can you get me, you know, an OGO bag, take a photo of it and put it on a website so we can buy it? Right. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah. it's right. And, and Jamie, in terms of how you support those types of requests, is that something that uh, uh, that that you brought development in house for, or is that um, I, I'm curious as to how it is that you're able to actually execute on some of these ideas? Because no question, you come up with the ideas, but in terms of actually putting them uh, uh, putting them in place, you do that in house, or do you contract out, or what's the story? So yeah, so. In-house, you know, we've got project management team, um, and we also call the programs team, and they handle what I would cons- what I'll call very straightforward integration. So the development is done externally through development partners. You know, um, we do quite a bit with Ruby and and Rails and putting putting these programs together externally and then essentially API bolting them onto our operating system. If that, so we kind of handle right. the entire management and then we handle the internal, you know, tying it to, you know, order management, financial management, the fulfillment modules. Um, but the development really, we're, we're using external third party people who are way smarter and way more versed in, in development than we are. Yeah, well, I think that that's an interesting comment because it it, it it's a really interesting business environment that we're operating in now, where you can be a, a small distributor with an idea, and you're able to develop uh, something by contracting out externally just as much as one of the bigger distributors can. And so long as you're managing your costs, it means that uh, uh, the, the, the playing field has ver- been very much leveled. And I, we've certainly seen that over the last several years as we built out our technology infrastructure, that there's so many more options available to smaller distributors or smaller mid-sized distributors. Uh, and I, I, I think that's really exciting for the people that really get that. I do too, but I think you know that you hit the nail on the head for the people who really get that. And if I would throw in a question, is do we really see our industry gravitating towards really getting that, or do we really see our industry continuing to be so solely focused on on moving widgets? Yeah, I don't. You know, uh, I don't know. big industry move a lot well, of widgets. I, uh, it was funny. I was having this, that very conversation today with Catherine, my, my partner in crime and in life. And of course, Jamie, you know, Catherine, and, much, much better half, uh, much, much better, smarter, uh, every, <laughs> everything half, um, no question. But, but in order to, in order to, to reflect on that question, Jamie, I, I think that the reason this industry is still so product and widget driven and I think will continue to be for quite some time is that it's easier. It really is. And you know, we reflect sometimes on some of the programs that we do at Right Sleeve and, and our, we're incredibly biased towards the creative technology strategic cell here. But we reflect on some of the programs that we do and go, 
sometimes it's just easier to sell the product. And yeah. if you've got salespeople that are getting paid on or are making uh, uh, a good deal of their compensation and the commission, and they say, well, it's going to take 10 times the time to go sell this fancy technology-based program that may not generate sales for the first year, or I can sell $10,000 worth of koozies at 40 points and walk out with a nice commission. Um, that's, the, I mean, I think that there's no secret. That's the reason why that happens. And I, I think, Jamie, I, I know that we've chatted about this. That represents an extraordinary opportunity for guys like you that don't think that way. You can go out to the market and not sell that 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 widget, and and you can think more holistically around how you can build something uh, more special around that. Um, where there's margin, there's very few people that get that. Very limited competition. I think it's exciting, but wanting. Yeah, it's a real balance for sure. And you know, I, I mean, I've paid attention to both of your companies, and for, for over the years, and I've read you know things that that you've written and how you think and. You know, I think that's interesting because the three of us pretty much think the same way. But you know, sometimes it's really hard to conform a client to try and think differently too, because they're so focused on what their job is, which you know, for the most part, isn't buying widgets. You know, their job could be how do we, you know, grow our company? How do we better orient our new employees to our corporate culture? And can merchandise be a vehicle? And it's just a long education process and. Um, you know, of course, I think we would all like it when easy orders come over the transom and, you know, you can book a writing instrument order where you didn't have to really put a ton of thought into it or a bag order or, you know, a koozie order, as you mentioned, because we work so hard on the other side that it's nice to be rewarded with some of the, you know, the kind of really simple transactional type type orders. But I think the, the thing that really is going to change for distributors is that you have to be able to do both, you know, and I think for the most part we all can transact, but it's really how do how can we all think about how our business and our products and services help move our clients' businesses forward, and that's kind of heady because you might, you know, the simplistic view is, okay, really, like how's a mug really going to move the needle at my client's uh, business, but, but it can, especially when, like, you, you know, you look at some of these huge brands that have and I'm not just talking about their logos, but you know, building stories. And um, you know, one that comes to mind recently, which I love, is, is Mayhem in the commercials for Allstate. And, and talk about thinking of a different way to think of buying insurance, right? All the fun merchandising um, executions that you can take off from with Mayhem, um, you know, really could could move the needle, especially with younger buyers of insurance. You know, I mean, maybe my dad isn't fired up about mayhem, but you know, my kid, who's getting a car and, and is responsible for their own insurance, might say, I, "I'm going to buy Allstate insurance because mayhem is cool." And I really think, you know, X Y Z car insurance is boring. You know, so and I got this great shirt when I was on campus at the same time. So it's like oh, it all can tie together. But yeah. I don't know. I, I think about this stuff all the time. I really don't know why I think about it all the time. I should think. <laughs> well, I think when you start getting into programs, you start getting a more holistic view of branding and 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 get outside of just that world of of moving SKUs and widgets. I know. I ask this of many distributors. I ask, you know, were you did you decide who you were going to become as a brand, or did your clients shape you? And many of us, mm. 
our clients have shaped us, but we had that choice. That point came when the client said, can you? And you thought about it, and you know, it would have been a lot easier to say no. Uh, you could have risked losing the client, but we've taken that divergent path, and because we've done so, you end up building a brand that's differentiating itself and, and pulling away from the typical promotional product distributor, which is exciting. And it's also, as we all know, it's also a lot of work. It's it, Yes, it's a, there's a lot of headaches behind it, but you're really building a strong foundation, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, I think we talk about it sometimes, and we talk about it with clients, where we feel like our initial meetings are spent trying to overcome the perception of our industry. Yeah. <laughs> as we're trying to tell them who Swerve Point is. And, um, and I guess, you know, maybe it can be like that in, in an industry, you know, like the, the traditional advertising industry. I mean, we see great work and creative work, and we get to see what great big agencies, especially in the Boston area, do. But, you know, there are, you know, very small agencies, one person, two person shop that don't function like the big, you know, global agencies that we admire. Um, but there's enough room for everybody. And I guess, you know, I don't, to not get too negative and caught up in, you know, how ASI, for example, portrays the industry with their own thing. Um, the, the, the nice thing about our industry is there's enough room for everybody yeah. and there's a niche for everybody. And really, if you just, you know, focus on your own thing and what works for your and your clients, you can have a ton of fun in this and still, you know, have your parents be proud of you that, you, that you're not, you know, selling foam fingers and big combs and that's why they paid for you to go to college or university. Yeah. So. <laughs> or in Bobby's case, koozies. Yeah. And, you know, Jamie, if you know us, we have this stupid running joke every, every time we do these podcasts. Um, I want to, I want to jump back Jamie, I think that this complements what we did been have been talking about. This whole idea of growing big, and by growing big, one becomes soulless, very transaction focused, and somewhat lame. Um, I'm curious. This is something we think about a lot here at Right Sleeve. Is it possible to be big and awesome at the same time? And the reason I ask this question is that I think that that's uh, very nebulous in the promotional products business. But if you look at other industries, uh, the example I love to give is Zappos. I look at Zappos as being this company that is huge, over a billion dollars worth of sales, much bigger than anything in the promotional product business, and they're awesome. And yeah. that doesn't seem to exist in the promotional product space. And my impression is that SwervePoint could become a Zappos of this business, or hopefully Right Sleep could be, or even Robin, because of the investments that we've made in the long term and the, a foundation of awesome. Is that possible? Do you think that, 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 company, that some companies will start to break away from the pack in the next five to ten years and will be amazing as opposed to these transaction, soulless sellers that, uh, stand for nothing. I'm off my soapbox. Go. <laughs> That's an awesome question. Um, I'll tell you, I think in this business, it's really, really hard to become big and awesome because 
it doesn't matter how big your company is. I feel like you're you're a company of little companies that are that are being driven by the business requirements of of almost each client. So if you look at like some of the big big guys, you know they've got multiple account teams and and they're assigned certain accounts and their account base is thirty million dollars. It's got you know six seven eight clients in it. Those are six, seven, eight small businesses that are all kind of running differently. And how much leverage and scale, you know, can you apply across the board? Um, you know, you can do it from a back off standpoint in the front, you know, on technology and such. But you're not really building your own brand um, because mm-hmm. you're doing it the service of the client's brand. So you almost become anonymous in, in that. And you know, I look at um, like Staples, for example. Obviously, unbelievably well known in office products because. It's a standard product. So Zappos, you know, footwear, and of course now they've expanded into other products and, and outerwear and clothing and et cetera. Um, but, but they control virtually everything. They can, and, and I've been to their, I don't know if you guys have done the, the whole tour and everything there, but if, when you go to Vegas, you know, PPAI, hop on the shuttle and go to, go to Zappos and get yourself scheduled and see how it works. It is awesome yeah, because... Amazing. Yeah, they control the customer experience, and there's not a lot of inputs into that business. It's inventory availability, providing you know the customer with the information they need to buy, and delivering it you know when you say you're going to deliver it. Our, look at our business; we build our brand to the extent we can, and then we rely on the supply chain to make good on our promise. And we, to a right. large only as good as our suppliers, right? Right. So I think we can be awesome and build our business, um, but <laughs> we're probably only as good as our ability to solve problems. You know that really defines our awesomeness because mm. there are always going to be problems, and I, I don't want to take a negative view on it. But you know, if we controlled everything ourselves, we would. Yep. We we could be more awesome, but I. You know, and then of course, just finding people who get it and training those people on how we do things here. Um, we can't, you know, we can't scale that. Like, you know, and so I don't know what's what's big. You know, like Staples over four hundred million dollars. Some of the other guys way up in the stratosphere, two hundred million. You know, I respect them immensely, and then I think probably they're awesome at what they do. But I don't know. For I've always kind of felt the sweet spot in this business is. Companies that are in that 15, you know, they're, they're through the $10 million number. They're coming through 15. They're doing great at 15, and they can decide do they want to go to 20, 25. But 40 always felt like you've really arrived. And um, I, don't, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Hmm. I think awesome is also a beholder, right? You know, to some people, your $400 million business, and you're del- delivering solid EBITDA, and you're 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 shipping product out the door and if they're happy that's awesome if you're a 50 million dollar business and you're doing something really special and you're you know leading a cult like our friend Cameron Popkin does I don't know what size of business his is just listening to him on that podcast we had a couple of weeks ago I mean man that guy is obsessed with his business and obsessed with his clients and he's really creating something hugely special but you talk about his model and relate it to Staples. I'm sure the guys at Staples would have no idea what the, what he's doing. They're both awesome in their own in their own eyes, I suppose. I I see a trend amongst 
people, peers that I respect and just people, I, maybe it's the promo kitchen community and there's a, there's that caliber of people, but it's being proud of building something that you're proud of. And, and the gauge, we talked about this a few podcasts ago, the gauge no longer being merely about gross sales, though we know that's, we know that's, um, critical. We know that's important, but building something that we're proud of, um, seems to be a recurrent theme. Yeah, right. You can define your own awesomeness, and and once you figure out what that is and what you want it to be, and you just you know try and stay focused on that, you know, I think that's a good way to operate your business for sure. I was just about to ask the question of advice to young distributors, and that nailed it. I think what you just said absolutely nailed it, and I loved your comment. Only as good as our ability to solve problems. Any other advice that you can give out to folks that are starting out, or that maybe some solopreneurs that are that are. Um, you know, they're, they're by themselves or doing it all themselves. What would you say to them? <laughs> yeah, I guess I can answer that just kind of by example. Cause I know when I first got into this, I tried to absorb as much product information as I could, you know, had, know as much about this technical jacket, know as much as I could about, you know, how this pen was made and, and what the refill, where the refill was from and all that stuff. And the reality of that is that that would have made me a very good supplier salesperson, but don't get hung up on product knowledge. There's so much of it and, you know, decoration techniques and all the stuff around that because those don't solve problems for our clients. These products are merely a vehicle to communicate something, whether it's like, hey guys, I really like you, so here's a cool, you know, technical jacket, but, you know, I need to belabor our clients with all of the nuance of, of, what something is made. It's more about, let me understand how this jacket is going to move the needle with, you know, the 40 people you just hired who are going to be out on the street handing out, you know, samples of your products and, and representing your yeah. brand. So that'd be one. Don't get so caught up because you'll just, you can paralyze yourself because there's so much product. Mm-hmm. And number two, I'd say immerse yourself in technology and understand, and find, you know, partnerships with great developers and does, and, you know, user interface designers and build a network of people who can build your presence on the web and build applications for your clients because then you become this valuable resource that, you know, maybe the typical salesperson doesn't bring to the table and you can, you know, outmaneuver them. I think those are a couple for sure. Great advice. Great advice. Uh, Mark, do you have any other questions before we get on to the 10 questions? No, I think we, uh, I think we should get off uh, onto the ten questions. And you know, I just, I just wanted to say, Jamie, thanks for being so candid and honest with your responses. I know that I've uh, really enjoyed our relationship over the last little while, and, uh, and and you certainly remain one of those guys that I, I, I've, I've always respected and really admired your brand. And um, there's not too many of you out there in, in the business. So good on you. Well, same same with you guys, and you know, uh, thanks for dragging me uh, over the goal line on this because I I'll find a way to procrastinate. And- <laughs> it's been great. This has actually been a really rich conversation. Yeah. So, Jamie, you got the I'm ten. Pretty quite- tenacious, you know. I, I'm pretty tenacious. So. Yeah, <laughs> Mark is relentless. Is the word, Mark? But the first thing before I answer, I have to ask. Like, I don't want to swear if that's not okay. So, <laughs> it, it'll be okay. We figured our work around. I can change my favorite word if if I need to. No, no, you don't have to. We figured it work around. <laughs> uh, Cameron actually broke the mold on that. So, as is is case. So, uh, so number one, uh-huh. what what's your favorite word? Luster. <laughs> okay. 
Room number two, room, desk, and car. Which do you clean first? Car. Number three, a favorite animated film? Lion King. Favorite beverage? Starbucks Cafe Americano, inch and a half of steamed soy milk. <laughs> very, very specific. Spoken like a programs guy. Very specific. Um, Such an East Coast. Yeah. And well, I had no idea you're, you're Canadian, right, Jamie? Yes, I, I am Canadian. As okay. So if, if you guys need to edit the audio for this because there's too much Canadian speak going on. <laughs> Actually, I think your time and Although and, I will say... Yeah, go ahead. I know we're in the middle of the questions here, but I will say, Jamie, I was disappointed in how you pronounced niche. Come on, man. It's niche. I loved it. Jamie has – that's the thing. Mark, I told you, you butchered the English language. Jamie hasn't butchered the English yeah. language here today. He's really done no, a great but job. He's been, he's been in the States for quite some time. Yeah. Now, so yeah. that the explains it. abuse I took in the first year, you know, especially being in the programs business, you know, how do you spell catalog? You spell it with a U and an E. Right. And color. Damn straight. All right, sorry. That's all right. No, okay. So first Mars visit, you can only take the complete works of one artist and author with you. Who are they? Uh, boy, Ansel Adams. Mm. So Nice. Photographer, I could just stare at the guy's work forever. And then um, David Ogilvy, who, you know, if you haven't read any of his books, I mean, founder of one of the best agencies in the world, but just brilliant. So uh, Adams and Ogilvy. Great. You know, that Adam's comment just gave us insight into, if you, if you go to the Swerve Point website, you'll see beautiful imagery. You guys take a lot of time to look good, and that matters. Uh, number six, what excites you about our industry? Okay, so this will be quick. The, what excites me is the creative potential of our industry and, and how pervasive it is because our, our merchandise, it, it can touch almost any aspect of, of not only business to business environment, but but just general life. So I like I like that it's you know somewhat ubiquitous. Hmm. What deflates you about our industry? I think it, its view of its own purpose totally sucks the life out of me. Because yeah. general, the industry views itself as a vehicle for just you know supplying stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think. Great comment. Yeah. What profession other than our own would you like to attempt? I would like to sell Porsches. <laughs> what what uh, profession would you not like to do? I would not like to be a politician. Oh, that's for sure. And last question. Favorite app, software at the moment? Any kind of digital tool? A two, Evernote and Penultimate. How do you use Evernote? Oh my God! How, how do you not? I just grab everything that I squirrel, like squirrel, and I grab it and I throw it into a folder or a notebook within Evernote images. Just type in notes. You know, everything's organized in there. Use it on my iPhone, iPad, you know, laptop. It's constantly open. Yeah, Penultimate's a great app too. That's an iPhone app. I mean, an iPad app, I believe. Uh, but that's a great app. Good. It's great for just you know sitting in a client meeting and taking notes and then emailing off the notebook um, you know where, when you're done. So yeah. those good are stuff. The, good yeah. stuff, Jamie. Thanks for asking us. Thanks for being on the program today. What do you have any other final yeah, comments you want to make? I I, I do. Um, this idea you guys have is fantastic. And you know talking to Steve Pons and I've listened to a number of the podcasts. They're always fun and, and entertaining and interesting. I think you guys are totally tapping into. 
where our industry needs to head and I think where our customers want it you know, to already be. So kudos to you guys for, for pushing this through because it's such a cool and much needed, uh, almost public service, I'll call it. Hmm. That's, that's that, thank you. That's high praise coming from you, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Um, well, you make it better for being on it. It might not be right. the last time, Jamie. <laughs> oh, hey, listen, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly come on again, but, but only if I can ask you guys all the questions. <laughs> Bobby gets a bit squirrely when you yeah, ask him questions, yeah, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, on the other side of the microphone, oh, oh, I don't know. So. I, I always, I, I, people always <laughs> that say that, fun. and I, I prefer, I, I just don't prefer audio. I can, I can answer it in text better. But Jamie, thanks, man. It's been great fun. And folks, you can visit again, swervepoint.com, Jamie Mayer. And uh, this has been really rich. If you are a new, if you've been listening for a while and you have enjoyed the podcast, take the time to let us know. Shoot us an email. Let us know what topics you want to hear about. If you know of a distributor that's doing some exciting work out there, let us know about them. We'd love to interview them as well. Mark, any final comments? I'm done. I'm done, my friends. All Thanks right, guys. Again, Jimmy, that was amazing. Thanks, guys. This has been good. Good stuff. <laughs>